Well, the, the new year is approaching. Amen? Amen? In fact, it is right around the corner. And with the new year approaching, some of you have begun to think of some resolutions you want to fulfill in the new year. Amen? Amen. Uh, some of you may have made a resolution to finish school. You want to finish school in 2013. Some of you have made a resolution, uh, a resolution that you have probably made five or ten times, to finish through the one-year Bible next year. Amen? And some of you may have made a resolution that's more health-oriented, maybe to stop smoking or to lose weight. Uh, so many of us have made some type of resolution, whether you call it a New Year's resolution or not, many of us have resolved to do something in the new year, to fulfill some goal or achieve some ambition uh, throughout the new year. Whether you have resolved to do, whatever you have resolved to do, there's, there's one resolution that, that we, each and every one of us, are called to do, and that is to imitate God. We all have called, been called to imitate God, but this resolution is not a resolution just for 2013. This is a resolution for life. It is what I call a new life resolution to imitate God. And that's what I want to talk to you about this morning is a new life resolution to imitate God. Regardless of what other resolutions we have come to try to achieve in the new year, no resolution as, is as important as our uh, resolution to imitate God. No resolution is as important. It is God's will above all that we imitate him with the new life that he has given us. And there's no better way. There is no better way to glorify the Lord than to imitate him. So, if you would, turn with me in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5, and we will look at this calling to, for us to imitate God and what that looks like to imitate God. What does it mean to imitate God? So if you would, stand to your feet as our custom is and turn your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5, and we'll be looking at verses 1 through 17. you do not have your Bibles with you this morning, if you have not brought your Bible, uh, you can follow along on the screen. I'll be reading from the ESV translation. When you have it, say amen. And the word of the Lord reads, therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. 
Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not associate with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. May the Lord have a blessing upon the readers and hearers of his word. Amen. In Paul's letter to the Christians in Ephesus, Paul spends the first three chapters in uh, speaking to the Christians in Ephesus about their spiritual blessings in Christ. He spends the first three chapters focusing on that. And then he moves on or he transitions in the last three chapters, four through six, in focusing on how that should look as a result of the spiritual blessings that they have in Christ, that we have in Christ. He says, this is the result. This is what your life should look like. So Paul first starts out in principle and then he moves to the practical. He says, this, because this is true, in your Christian walk or in your Christian lifestyle, because of who you are in Christ, because this is true, this is what you should look like and this is the way you should live. So Paul goes on and does this and in chapter 5 we see in that first verse some heavy words. He says, therefore, be imitators of God. Be imitators of God. At some point in our lives, we have all found ourselves imitating some aspects of someone who is influential in our life. We have found ourselves imitating aspects of someone's life. There may be some who have been imitating maybe some athlete, right, trying to play the game like they play the game. It may be someone who is imitating uh, someone's preaching or how they teach or whatever it may be. We have found ourselves imitating certain aspects of someone's life. Sometimes we find ourselves imitating our parents, our mother and our father. Even subconsciously we do these things. Or maybe it's an older sibling that we found ourselves imitating. So there's usually someone in our life who was or is influential in shaping our character, whether for better or for worse. Regardless of who we are, God calls us to imitate him first and above all. And so we see this call. It doesn't matter where you come from or, or who you are. It doesn't matter what your age is. You can be a youth or a senior. God says, you must imitate me. So we see Paul's words here, to imitate 
God. And what a noble and supernatural call that is, to imitate God. I mean, do you really, have you really given thought to how heavy that is? To imitate God. God, the one who created man out of dirt. God. I mean, we're talking about God who parted the Red Sea so that the Israelites could walk over on dry ground. We're talking about God, the one who led the Israelites into Canaan. We're talking about God, the one who crafted the, 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 the idea to dwell among us through the person of Jesus Christ, that we may have life in his death, burial, and resurrection. Amen. We're talking about God, the one who is perfect, holy, righteous in all that he does who is without sin. We're talking about God, and yet Paul says, therefore be imitators of God. Whew. I don't know about you, but I mean, sometimes we have a tendency to skip over those things pretty quickly because we want to get to the next point. What's he telling me? We've got to stop it. He says, be, be imitators of God. We look at each other, we can kind of imitate each other sometimes, but we talk about imitating God, that's such a high calling. Such a high calling to be imitators of God, to mimic the Almighty God. And, and so how do we imitate God? How do, how do we imitate someone who is perfect, who is set apart? How do we imitate God? We imitate God by walking as Jesus, looking at his life and following the example that he has set before us. That is how we imitate God. We imitate God by walking as Jesus walked, looking at the life he lived, and following the example that he set before us. Peter tells us, to this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his footsteps. That you should follow his example. So we see this calling, but before we look at Imitating God, because I think our mind automatically goes to, okay, I got to imitate everything that Jesus Christ did. I got to do the good deeds, and, and, and this is true. But before we, before we go there, we must know that walking as Jesus goes well beyond doing good deeds and staying out of trouble. To some of us, those are the two greatest commandments, do good deeds and stay out of trouble. Those are not the two greatest commandments. But sometimes we look at it that way. Do good deeds and stay out of trouble. If I do that, then I will walk as Jesus Christ. To walk as Jesus is so much greater than that. I mean, walking as Jesus Christ, walking as the Son of God, goes, goes well beyond doing good deeds to loving God with all our heart, all our soul, and all our mind. That is what it means to walk as Jesus Christ. Because we love Jesus Christ with all our heart, soul, and mind, that is what enables us to walk and to do the things that Jesus Christ did. So let us not put the cart before the horse. We walk as Jesus Christ did because of the love we have for the Father. Actually, it, 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 when we look at walking as Jesus Christ to imitate him, it's to surrender our lives to the will of God. When you walk as Jesus, others will see the love of God in you. They will see the love of God in you. It'll be pouring out. But doing good deeds is, is, is great, and, and staying out of trouble is great, but, but there are many people today who are doing that very thing. There are many people who are doing good deeds and staying out of trouble, but they don't look like Jesus Christ in their walk. 
You say, how's that? Because I know there's some people saying, well, there's some, be- there's some unbelievers who, who don't believe in Jesus Christ, and they're doing good deeds. I mean, they're, 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 they're going and they're, they're feeding the poor, they're visiting the sick, and, and they're, they're, they're doing all these great deeds and everything, and they're staying out of trouble, but they look more like Christ than I do. But I, I got a word to you this morning that they don't look like Jesus Christ. They're not walking as Jesus Christ. I hope y'all stick with me for a second. They're not walking as Jesus Christ. We don't walk as Jesus because of our good deeds. We walk as Jesus because of God's love that is in us. There's a change that goes on inside that, 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 that you and I have a hard time seeing. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 4 through 6, John The Apostle John, he hits it right on the nail here. He says, whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. He says, the love of God is complete in him. But then he goes on, he says, by this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him, ought to walk in the same way in which Jesus walked, in which he walked. So he's saying that we know that God is in those because his love is in us. And if his love is in us and we abide in him, then we will walk as Jesus walked. That's, you know, that's what separates two two types of groups, the disciples and the crowd. There's two types of groups, the disciples those who are following Jesus Christ have made a commitment to follow God. They have abandoned the ways of this world. And they, they, they have given their faith in Jesus Christ and are born again believers in faith and have committed themselves to walking as Jesus Christ walked. Those are the disciples. But you had another crowd. You had, you had another group that was following Jesus Christ. You had those who were called the crowd. You look it up in John chapter 6. Jesus Christ had had the crowd with him. Always had a bunch of people with him. The crowd were those, they loved hearing Jesus preach. They loved hearing Jesus talk. They loved being around his disciples. They didn't mind being around his disciples. In fact, when Jesus Christ got up the next morning in John chapter 6, went across the sea to Capernaum, crowd got was like, where Jesus at? Got in the boat and went and found Jesus Christ. Why? Because he fed them the previous day. So the crowd is after the blessings of Jesus Christ. They're interested in what they're getting and not what they're giving back. And so we see there's there's two types of groups here. The disciples are those who have made a commitment to imitate Jesus Christ, to to walk as Jesus Christ has walked. And we can see that today in today's church. You have the disciples of Christ, and you have the crowd. Crowd doesn't mind coming on Sunday morning. Crowd doesn't mind. They'll, they'll come on Sunday morning. They don't mind hearing a good message and receiving the blessings of God. But they, they, they don't walk according to Jesus' walk. They walk to their own beat. That's the difference between the disciples and the crowd. And so we see the disciples are those who were called to imitate, to walk as Jesus Christ walked. But there is a change that is taking place on the inside of those who have chosen to follow Jesus Christ. 
Are you walking as Jesus Christ walked is the question today. If you're like me, there are times when you, you just don't feel like you're walking as Jesus Christ. I mean, you, you seem to feel, you, you seem to look more like your old self than the, than the new self. It's kind of like that, what Paul said, right? The things that I don't want to do, I find myself doing, and the, the things that I do want to do, I find myself not doing. There's that constant battle, that spiritual warfare that goes on each and every day. And so sometimes we, we're like, man, I don't, I don't feel like I look like Christ. I don't feel like I, I'm walking like Jesus Christ. But, you know, though we all, we all struggle, we all are going to struggle at times in our walk in looking like Jesus Christ. Our walk and our talk, though, should be less like the old person and more like the person that Jesus Christ is making us into be. That's the difference, is that, yes, we're going to struggle. You know, the, the, the thing that we've come to realize is that the closer you get to Jesus Christ, the more you see your imperfections, the more you feel like you're falling short because you're getting closer to perfection and you're looking more at perfection. And so you're like, man, I feel like I'm, you, you just, the things that used to bother you, the things that didn't bother you before now bother you. Right? Watching a certain movie used to not bother you. You'd watch it in a heartbeat. Now it's like, man, I, I can't watch it. I'm, something's going on. It's a little different. So, so we see that there, there's a difference. So we should be a little less like who we used to be and more like who Jesus Christ is making us out to be. Less like Simon and more like Peter. Less like Saul and more like Paul. That, that's, what, that's what's going on within the person who has chosen to walk and to imitate God. There should be some progressive, there's some progressive sanctification, which basically means just there should be a, 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 a period in which you can see some growth. No flatlining. No flatlining. Progressing towards the image of Christ. And so while we, while we will struggle, while it is difficult, there, you will see that there is some growth over a period of time in those who have chosen to imitate God and walk as he has called us to walk. Now, if all this seems impossible, I know some of you, I know you're sitting there and you're probably like, man, this, to imitate God, you know, I've tried and it just ain't working. I've tried to abstain from certain things, or I've tried to do certain things. I've tried coming on Sunday, Sunday morning to Sunday school, and it just ain't, ain't working. I've tried coming to Wednesday night. It ain't working. I've tried reading my Bible. I just, I just, don't, I just, it ain't, I just don't get it. I've tried serving, and I just, I just ain't, ain't feeling it. So there are, there are times there where it seems like it's impossible to walk as Jesus Christ. And, and you know what? You're right. It is impossible without God. That's what Jesus Christ said. Without God, with man, it's impossible. But with, with God, all things are possible. So the, the one thing that we have to understand is that to walk as God, to walk as Jesus Christ, requires supernatural power. It requires power that we in and of ourselves can't just muster up. No such thing in a Christian walk, just tap your bootstraps and and just go do it. That'll get you in trouble. It's not something we can do in our own strength. The Christian walk is not some self-help program where you learn what to do. You read it in the book, you just learn what to do, and you go do it, and, and that's it. It's not some self-help program. The, the ability to look like God comes from 
the power of God through the Holy Spirit. Walking as Jesus requires God help, not self-help. Requires God help, not self-help. And so we see the power of God is at work in those who have chosen to follow after Jesus Christ. The same power, the same power we read about in the scriptures is the same power that is at work in every believer. Everyone who is born again, that same power you see in scripture is the same power that is at work in you. That same power that enabled Jesus Christ to, to talk to the storm and to say, peace, be still. That same power is at work in you. It's by that same power Jesus Christ spoke to a four-day-old dead Lazarus and said, Lazarus, come out and take off those old clothes. You're no longer dead. It's by that same power that God raised Jesus Christ from the dead after three days. It's by that same power, that same power that's at work in you and me. But even, even as I tell you this, I know there's some people who are doubting. I can see it you're kind of in your body language. You're kind of like, oh, yeah, whatever, you know. I'm with you, but I ain't feeling you, you know. I, oh, man, if, if we would only believe if I know there's some people who are doubting that the same power is at work in you. And, and why is that? Because we just don't feel it sometimes, right? Sometimes we just don't feel that power at times. Sometimes we just feel weak. We feel helpless and hopeless sometimes. We feel uh, like we just don't have the ability to do what God is calling us to do at times. And maybe that's because of, of your faith. I, I'm convinced it's because if, if we're having trouble with that, it's because of our faith. Jesus Christ said, ye of little faith. Right? Because our faith in what Christ can do through and in us is not measuring up. But it doesn't take a whole lot of faith. He said, just the, the, the faith of a, the size of a mustard seed. Says it'll, it'll move mountains, right? What mountain is standing in your way from doing what God is calling us to do? God, if God calls us to imitate him, you better believe he has equipped us to imitate him. God is not some like some with some Oz in the back, Wizard of Oz, just playing strings. Okay, I'm going to tell y'all to, mim- to imitate me and not give you the ability to be able to do it. That's, that's, not, that's not the God we serve. So to doubt that you have the ability, those who have been born again, is to doubt God himself. Sure, we may not be healing like the apostles, we may not be casting demons out of the apostles, but... But sure enough, all of those who have been saved by God are given the power to look more like Jesus Christ. That's not a discriminatory power right there. That's that's a power that every believer has to look more like his son, Jesus Christ. That is the purpose in which he saves you, redeems you from from your old self so that you will look more like Jesus Christ, to conform you into the image of Jesus Christ. That is the purpose of him saving you. You might not be able to cast demons, you might not be able to do some of the other gifts, but Every believer has the power to look like Jesus Christ. I don't care who you are. I don't care where you come from. I don't care your background. I don't care how difficult it was for you growing up. Every believer, I hope you're listening to me, every believer has the power, 
If you put your faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, and you have been born again, he works on you, gives you a new heart and a new life so that you will be able to live, and he gives you the Holy Spirit to enable you to walk as he walked. Believe that. If there's nothing else you believe, believe that. If you don't believe that, you're not going to be able to do as Jesus Christ did. You're not going to be able to walk as Jesus Christ walked. Because your faith is in the way. Instead of it being the catalyst that allows you to do it, it becomes a stumbling block. So believe, trust that he has given you the ability. Ephesians chapter 1, 18 through 20. If you don't believe me, Paul lays it out in Ephesians chapter 1, 18 through 20. You know what I talked about in the first three chapters? He lays out the principles. That's the reason why he did that. He says, I can't jump to the practical in chapter 1. I got to start with the principles so that they know what's in them, so that they know what took place, and then they will be able to do what I'm telling them to do. See, he said, I can't jump to telling you to imitate Christ in chapter 1, verse 1. He said, I can't do that. So in Ephesians chapter 1, he says, I pray also that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and his incomparably great power. For who? For us who believe. I love the next one. He says, that power. He says, it's like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. You don't have to be a scholar to figure out what Paul is saying here. You don't have to go to Southern Theological Seminary to figure out what Jesus Christ is saying here. He said that that same power that was used, that was, he said, which he exerted in Christ. I like that word, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead. He says that same power is at work in all those who believe. So, we, so I, I have to believe it. That's what God said. He's not like man that he should lie. So that, that same power is at work in you, if you have put your faith in Jesus Christ and it enables us to imitate Jesus Christ. So, we see that it is, God's, it is God who gives us the power to be able to imitate God. He's the one who equips us. It's, some, it's not something we can do in our own strength. But, but there's something that's very important that we need to take note of here, that before we can look like Jesus in what we do, God must first make us like Jesus in, in who we are. That's what we've been talking about. Before he can make us look like Jesus in, in what we do, what we say, and, and how we live, he must first make us like Jesus Christ in, in who we are. As I said before, we can give to the poor, we can, we can, we can visit the sick, we can do all the good deeds we want, but, but that is not where the makeover begins. That's not where the makeover begins. The makeover to look like Jesus Christ begins with the washing of our sins away by the blood of Jesus Christ. That's where the makeover begins. That's where it starts. The, the makeover starts in the blood of Jesus Christ. So, so in essence, what, what, what God is telling, telling us, what he's telling me is that before you can, you, can, you can wear the clothes of Jesus Christ, God first must, must give you the fragrance of Jesus Christ. Before you wear the clothes, 
before you look like him in, in your steps and what you're saying and what you do, he says he must give you the fragrance so that you smell like Jesus Christ. You don't just look like him. You're like, man, you, yeah, you smell like Christ. I mean, somebody, I mean, that's scripture, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, 14. Praise be to the God who leads us in triumphant possession in Christ and through us spreads everywhere the fragrance of the knowledge of him. Who's him? Jesus Christ. It says, you are the aroma of Christ to God. To those who are saved and those who are unsaved, he says, you are the aroma of Christ. There's a change that God is working out in you and me when we give our life to him that takes place before you even do a good deed in the name of Jesus Christ. So God, God knows those who have been cleansed by the blood of Christ. The blood of Christ is the only thing that will remove my sin stains. And I say hallelujah, praise God, that the blood of Christ is powerful enough to remove all my sins. And man, that's, that's, ooh, that's tough. Man, that's, that, that's tough, that the, the power of God. I can, I can do good deeds all I want, but, but only the blood makes me clean like Jesus Christ. Only the blood makes me look righteous like Jesus Christ. And so it's not just necessarily my steps. God, we look on the outside. God looks on the inside. He says, you're clean. You're clean like Jesus Christ. You're righteous like Jesus Christ. Because when I give my life to Christ, something amazing happens. Jesus Christ credits me with his righteousness. And says, let me, take, let me take your sins away. When I think about that, I think of that song. I think of that song, would, would you be free from the burden of sin? Right? It says there's power in the blood. There's power in the blood. Would you, oh, victory, win? There's wonderful power in the blood. Somebody knows that song. There's power in the blood. When you start to doubt, you say there's power in the blood. When you start to wonder who's you are, you say there's power in the blood. When Satan starts to talk to you and starts to try to convince you that you're not who you think you are, you say there's power in the blood. When Satan tries to put those sins up in front of your face and say, look at what you did, you say there's power in the blood. When he tries to tell you that you're not who God is making you out to be, that you don't need to come to church to praise him and to give him glory, you say there's power in that blood. There's power in the blood that washes me clean. Praise God for that power. For it is me being clean on the inside that allows me to, to do what I do on the outside. He says, I must make you clean first on the inside. Then what Jesus Christ said to the Pharisees, he said, whoa, you Pharisees. He says, you clean the outside of the dish. The inside is just filthy. Right? He says, clean the inside. That's what matters. So, so, so trust in the power, not in your good deeds. Trust in the power. The power is in the blood. Mm. When we were washed clean of our sin, man, that glorious thing happened. Something, something glorious happened. Not just where we cleansed of our sins, but you know what? God said that I'm going to make you a child of mine to imitate me. We're still in verse 1. We're still in verse 1, chapter 5, still in verse 1. 
Stick with me. We're going to move. Stick with me. Still, I, I, stick with me. I got to deal with the principle before I move on to the practical. He says, he says, be imitators of me because you are a child of mine. We become a child of the king, a child who is loved by God with a love that is, that is inseparable. That's what it tells me in Romans chapter 8. He says, what can separate you from the love of God? He said, neither death nor life nor the present nor future. Neither angels nor demons, is nothing can separate you from the love of God. That same love called you in to the kingdom of heaven. That same love calls Jesus Christ to remain on that cross and to die a death of a criminal when he was innocent. It's that same love, the same love that brought us in. So in Ephesians chapter 5 verse 1, that's what Paul hinges on. He hinges everything on that. He hinges it. He hinges everything that they're going to do. He hinges being imitators of God on the fact that they are a child of God. Not just a child of God. He says, beloved child of God. Someone who's loved. There are many people who are searching for love, who are seeking for love, may have not found it at home. May have not found it in the places that they should have gathered. And as a result, sometimes they, they go to and do things in pursuit of love. And in the pursuit of the wrong love, which gets them in trouble. But God says, come to me. I have that perfect love. The love that you're looking for, the love that draws us in and causes us a child. Man, that's an amazing truth. And you know what? Paul's writing to the, to the Christians in Ephesus and for him to call them a child of God, now it may not be as amazing to you, but for them in, 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 in Ephesus, it was amazing because he's writing to some, some Gentiles there and, and all they have ever heard was that you are out of favor with God, that you are unclean, that the Israelites are God's chosen people. Gentiles, you're unclean, you, you eat dirty things, you, you do things that are not in God's will. And so for Paul to say, you are a child of God, that was huge to them. Because now they're in the kingdom of God. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19. Paul makes a point to make sure that they are, they are aware of that earlier. He says, so then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. I, I think many of us have a problem Walking as Jesus today because we suffer from identity disorder. We suffer from an identity disorder. We, we suffer from identity disorder because we, we haven't quite fully grasped, we haven't fully taken hold of the concept of what God is trying to do, what he's done in your life, in us being a child of him. We haven't fully taken hold of it. And so we have somewhat of an identity disorder. And as a result, rather than walking in our calling, walking in our new identity in Christ, we walk as the old person rather than the new person because we don't know who we are. We don't know who we belong to. Like we're neglected or abandoned children. But Paul says that you are loved by God the Father. We spend time watching our bank accounts for identity theft, right? We're looking, where that $20 come from? I didn't do that. 
$100. I didn't, if somebody's going to take something, they're not going to just, uh, you know, I don't know. But <laughs> we looking. I didn't do that transaction. We, we watch our bank accounts, credit reports. We got watches on our credit reports. And we just don't know that <laughs> we're looking in the wrong place. Satan is the greatest thing there is to identity theft. No one is bigger at identity theft than Satan. He steals your identity, tells you who you're not, so that you won't walk as you're supposed to walk and be who you're supposed to be. He doesn't take your identity in Christ so that he can use it. He just doesn't want you to realize who you are so that you can't walk as Jesus Christ walked, so that you won't look like Jesus Christ looked. Because if he can succeed in getting you to look like the old person, then that's what he's trying to do. And so talk about somebody who's doing identity theft. While we're looking in our bank accounts and credit reports, we need to be looking in God's word. And we need to be focusing on ourselves saying, you know, because Satan is doing a number on a lot of us. So focusing on the material stuff. God says, wake up, wake up. Satan is a thief. He comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus Christ said, I came so that you may have life and have it more abundantly. Wake up. Walk in your calling to imitate God. Wake up. As children of God, we are called to imitate him. And the passage gives us some ways in which we can do that. And so, just like Paul, he first starts out and he talks, talks about the principle. So now that you know, you have the power to imitate God. You know what that looks like. He first goes on to the practical and says, okay, these are some things or some ways in which you are to imitate God. And so in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 1 and 2, again, he, therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us a fragrant offering, a sacrifice to God. And so the first thing we see is the call to imitate God by walking in love. I was waiting for that amen. I was waiting for it because, because love is so important. Love is it's the hallmark of, of who a Christian is. Jesus Christ himself, he said that you will know my disciples by the love they have for one another. Maybe it's a little, maybe, maybe we're just having a difficult time in, in showing that love. As children of God, we should know what it means to be loved. And that's why Paul touches on this. He says, as children of God, you should, since you know what it means to be loved by God, since you know what it means to be forgiven by God, since you know what it means to have mercy shown to you by God, since you know what it means to have grace shown to you by God, then you should at, at the same time show that same love to those who don't know him. So he says, show that love to friends and enemies alike. But there's a couple things that I think we need to consider and we need to, to, to keep in mind when, it, when, it, when we talk about love. And I think one of them is, is that it, we can't love and with, with us still having open wounds. It's difficult for us to love somebody else when we still have wounds that haven't been healed. And many of us haven't come to know of the, 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 the healing love that God gives us when you become a child of God. 
Many of us, when we came to Christ, we came with many open wounds, wounds wounded by, 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 by bad relationships, wounded by financial hardships, or wounded by physical abuse of some sort, or maybe just wounded by low self-esteem. Came to Christ with open wounds. And we haven't quite grasped the love of Jesus Christ to heal us of our wounds. And that hinders us from being able to heal other people with the same love that God has shown us. When we try to heal our wounds outside of God's love, we, we make matters worse. But God's love is our bomb in Gilead. God's love is our medicine that makes us better. God's love is that which heals our wounds. Isaiah 53, 5, he touches on this. Isaiah 53, 5, he says, But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. Now I know, contextually speaking, he's talking about wounds being healed first and foremost, the wounds of our sins, he's healed us, but I'm talking about, we're talking about holistically. He says he wounds you of all your, 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 your everything. He heals you of all your wounds. And so we must believe that when we come to Christ, whatever we are, whatever open wounds we have, whatever bitterness we have, whatever sorrow we have, whatever problems we have, we need to bring it before Jesus Christ and trust that he will heal us of our wounds. Have you been healed by the wounds of Jesus Christ or are you still walking around bitter? And then we look at some people like, man, what's wrong with them? There's some open wounds. There's some, there ain't even a scab on there. There's some open wounds. They ain't even begin to heal because they haven't allowed God to heal them. It's only after we experience the healing of God's love that we can begin to love others with the same love that Jesus has shown us. It's, it's only that. So if we're having problems loving others, maybe, maybe it's because we, we, we haven't first had our, our, our own wounds healed. Can't heal somebody else when you, when you need healing yourself. So in addition to being able to, to show that type of love, also we see that this type of love that we're talking about, that, that we're called to, to show or to walk in, it's not a, a worldly love, it's a sacrificial love. It's a sacrificial love, and that hurts. Sacrificial love hurts. Because, I mean, that's why you call it a sacrifice, right? I mean, it's a sacrificial love, right? I mean, it, it, it's, it's that love that you show and, you, and, you, and you, you, you give, but sometimes you may not even feel like it. Love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it is not rude, not self-seeking. I mean, whew, I mean, that's, and I, I mean, that's not even the end of it. I mean, when it touches on, I mean, that's, that's what love is. So love, but, but if we're going to walk as Jesus Christ, we have to walk with sacrificial love. And that requires us to move ourselves out of the way. Oh, it, it, I'm telling you, it requires us to remove ourselves out of the way and like, let Christ live through us. Many other problems we see in the world and even in our relationships are because of self-centered love rather than sacrificial love. Self-centered love, it, it's like a leech. 
I mean, it, 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 it's like a leech. It, it, it only drains. It doesn't give. It, it hurts. It doesn't heal. Self-centered love is just about me, myself, and I. You do to me as I do to you. You love me, I love you. You don't love me, I don't love you. That's self-centered love. Self-centered love is like I think about me before I think about you. You give me a gift, I give you a gift. You don't give me a gift, I don't give you a gift. You give me a gift and you don't give me a gift, ah, it's on. That's self-centered love. That's, I'm just trying to give you some pictures here. That's self-centered love. I mean, I, it, it hurts. It, it hurts to, to show sacrificial love, but, but look at how much it hurt Christ to stay on the cross for, for your sins and my sins. He didn't want to necessarily drink that cup, that cup, the, the wrath of God, but he, but he did it because of love. Because of love. <clears throat> how much healing could be done if we loved as Jesus loved? I mean, think about it. How much would, this, would, would our families change? How much would our relationships change? How much would the church be different if we loved as Jesus loved with sacrificial love? It requires a lot of faith and a lot of patience. You can't just come to church on Sunday, not spend any time with Jesus throughout the week, and expect to love like Jesus loved. Someone say, well, what does that have to do with it? You, you, we can't just spend two hours with Jesus during the week and expect to love like him. It's not going to work. That's cheap love. That's what, that's what you call cheap love. Spend two hours a week with anybody who you're really close with in a relationship, and you will see yourself. Something's not right with that relationship. And so we have to give him more. If, if we have a problem imitating the love of God, if we have a problem walking as Jesus Christ in the love, we need to spend more time with Christ through, first of all, prayer, we we'll go to God in prayer. Lord, you know that I'm having a difficult time loving as you have loved. Show me how to love as you have loved me. But also, spend time in reading the Gospels. Get in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and look at the love of Jesus Christ. Not just those four Gospels. You can look throughout Scripture, Genesis through Revelations, and you can see the love of God toward his people. Spend time, I say spend time in, 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 in looking at Jesus and how he walked and how he loved because I'm convinced that the more time you spend with Jesus Christ, his love will start to rub off on you. You know how it is when you spend time with somebody and you may be the grumpiest person there is, but you spend time with somebody who's all happy, loving, gives all, you know, when you eat together, they say, no, let me get it, I got the check. You know, when you spend time with people like that, that rubs off on you. It should. I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, sometimes, I mean, some people it may not, but for me, it's like, man, that's, that's contagious. For you know what you're like, let me pay for that. Let me, let me help you. Let me serve you. I mean, spending time with Jesus, you need to make Jesus your BFF, your best friend forever. That's the problem. I mean, some of us, we call Jesus, we say he's our savior, but we haven't even made him our friend yet. BFF, make him your best friend. Get close to Jesus Christ if you want to love like Jesus Christ. It's the only way. I, I don't have no other way to tell you but to get close to Christ. 
Let him rub off on you. He's still living. Living through his word. Read his word. Stick close to his gospels. See how he loved. And try to imitate that in your life. So, first of all, if we're going to imitate God, we got to walk in love as, as Christ. But secondly, not only do we need to walk in love, but we ought to walk as children of light. That's what we see in, in verses 3 through 14. I mean, he goes on, but sexual morality and all impurity or covetousness must not be named among you as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthy, filthiness, nor foolish talk. I'll go back to that one again. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ. Let no one deceive you with empty words, he says. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not associate for, with them, for at one time you were darkness. I like that he says, for one time you were like that. That was, your, that was your, your, your makeup. That's who you were. That was your MO, but now it's different. He says, but walk as children of light. Walk as children who have been brought from darkness into light. In Colossians chapter 1, he, he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into his, the kingdom of light. And so if we're, if we're going to imitate God, we've got to walk as light. Paul says that, you notice the one thing that he says, if we go back to, to the, the last, that there's one word right there at the last part of verse 3. He says, saints, as is proper among saints. This is key. Now, some of your translations, you may have holy people or something like that. Saints, that's what he's talking about. You know, if we look at this, I mean, what did he call me? A saint. How many of you feel like a saint? Some of y'all like, uh. How many of you feel like a saint? How many of you know that you're a saint? Some of us have a hard time raising our hands because we just don't, we like, one, we got the wrong notion of what a saint is. We look at a saint as somebody who in the world don't know Christ, don't know God, looks and says, you think you're a saint. And we look at that and we think that we're, we, we, we run from that notion because we think a saint is somebody who's perfect or who is too good for anybody else or who looks down on people, condescending. That's not what a saint is. That Greek word is hagios. It says a saint is the same thing as a, a holy. It means holy, but it means to be set apart. Not to be better, it means to be set apart for God's special use, for his glory. So if you have given your life to Jesus Christ, walk as a saint, call it. Don't run from that word. Let me try to paint an illustration. Many of you have multiple pairs of shoes. We have multiple pairs of shoes, right? We have some shoes that we use for just ordinary daily stuff. And then, you know, we have some shoes that we may use for just painting or cutting grass, but there's, there's a pair of shoes in your closet. Some of these women know what I'm talking about. There's a pair of shoes in your closet that they don't, they're, separate from, they're separated from the rest of. They don't come out, but on a special occasion. I mean, they, if it's raining or snowing there, I can't put those shoes on. I mean, you know these are some special shoes. These are shoes that are set apart from the other shoes. 
You've had them for 10 years, you've worn them like five times. They're special. Special. Can't, can't walk on these shoes. Got, I mean, you got to take them off a certain way. There's, those are special shoes set apart. Just as you have those special shoes, even more, God has set you apart for some special use, for use for his kingdom, not the kingdom of darkness. Special use. Like the way Paul says, he says, you are a saint. He says, don't even let this stuff, sexual morality. He says, don't let sexual morality, sex outside of marriage, fornication, adultery. He says, don't let those things be even named among you as saints. I even like the fact that he, he threw in there the talk of foolish talk, joking and stuff like that. He says, don't even, you know, the only thing that should really be coming out of your mouth is, is thanksgiving. It's praise. And so we see, we set us apart. And he also, he highlights the alternative or the consequences. He says, for, believe this, right? He says that for anyone who, who does these things, has, who, for anyone who is, is covetous, who is sexual immorality, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. That's what he says. Now, one thing that he also had, the, the world, Satan and your sinful nature will try to convince you that your sins are not that bad. Try to write it off. I'm saved by grace, brother. You know what, I, you know what it is, right? It'll try to write it off real quick. Instead of giving us a burden for our sins, instead of causing us to repent, to turn away from the sins. Now, being a saint does not mean you're going to be perfect does not mean you're not going to have a problem or, or stumble. But your response to when you do it is a whole lot different. And it means that you, you don't walk in it. It means you don't dwell in it. You don't stay there. And so that's, that's what we have, to, we have to keep in mind. In John chapter 8, verse 12, Jesus Christ said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me, will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. It's a promise. Jesus Christ says, if you follow me, you not walk in darkness, because you walk in light. He's not saying you will never sin, but he's saying that you will never dwell there. You will never walk in it. If anyone finds themselves walking in sin, repent. Know that you have a, a, a God in heaven who is faithful to forgive us of our sins. Like the father towards the lost son. He, he's not one that's looking to just punish you or whatever it may be, but he desires for us to come back to him. And he waits with open arms, waiting for us to come back to him when we, when we, when we disobey him. We've all been there. We, 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 we fall short of the glory of God each and every day. And God stands compassionately, gracious, merciful. Therefore, Jesus Christ died for your past, present, and future sins. Know this, but let us not look upon sin lightly. For our Father in heaven doesn't look upon it lightly. In fact, he sent his son to die on the cross for it. That's how serious he is of, about it. So we must walk in love. We must walk as light, as children of light. But thirdly, in addition to doing these things, we must walk in wisdom. In verse 15 and 17, it says, Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. 
So I won't spend a lot of time on this, but the one thing that we see in, in those previous what means in which Paul is, is calling us to walk as Jesus Christ, all of those are dealing with our walk and our talk. He says, look, this is how you should walk and this is how you should talk. And here is basically what he's saying is this, you should have the mind of Christ. So he says not only the walk and the talk, but you got to have the mind of Christ. And it goes back to us looking at life, looking at the world in the way that Christ looks at the world with wisdom. And so it, that's, that's important. I, I remember that slogan, the mind is a terrible thing to waste, right? That's not just, that, that applies more than just someone who doesn't get a good education. It applies to someone who is not pursuing Christ, someone who hasn't given their life to Christ, someone who isn't, isn't, isn't giving themselves to Christ. So it's more than just us having career ambitions that a mind is a terrible thing to waste. A life is a terrible thing to waste. As children of God, we are to constantly call on God for wisdom. There's a worldly wisdom and there's a divine wisdom. And that's the wisdom he's talking about, divine wisdom. Call upon your Father who knows all things, who is omniscient. He knows everything. Call upon him and ask him for direction. There's no other way we can know the will of God other than reading his word and through prayer. In fact, the two go hand in hand. That's why we've been here at a church. We've been, we've been practicing uh, praying through Scripture. Because when you pray through Scripture, you know you're praying the will of God. There's no question. And so we must know the will of God. And we see that also that walking in wisdom requires humility. It requires humility. We must uh, come before God, acknowledge that we don't know what we're doing. And lean on him to give us guidance. All too often, we would rather figure things out of our, on ourselves rather than go to God for direction. It's interesting how the Magi, the Magi were considered to be the wise men of the time. I mean, they were the wisest. But yet when they came before Jesus Christ, they fell down on their knees and they worshiped God. They recognized that there is a higher wisdom that is above theirs. There's one who is seated upon the throne right now who desires for you to call on him. As James said, if anyone is lacking wisdom, ask him. For he is generous and he will give it to you. But we need to ask him for it. We need to know that he is all wise. So this wisdom, it, it, the one thing that is, is evident, if those who don't give their life to Jesus Christ, who do not acknowledge him as Lord and Savior and make a commitment to turn from their sins, to repent, and to give their life to Jesus Christ and to live for him, God's word says that those are the ones who are foolish because God has revealed himself to you that you may know who he is. And so our wisdom is not in how much we know or our IQ our wisdom is in Christ. Our wisdom is as a result of us giving our life to Jesus Christ and living in a way that we can imitate him in the way we walk. One thing is without question. We know that it is God's will for us to imitate him. And if there's someone here today who just hasn't been living for Christ, who hasn't made it their resolution to imitate God, you may have made it your resolution to 
study God's word more, to read through the Bible in one year, to do a number of things. But our greatest resolution should be to resolve to look like Jesus Christ, to walk and to do as he has done for us. And so I pray that in this new year, that will be your New Year's resolution, a new life resolution to imitate Christ, to imitate God. Not just for 2013. Now just as you leave here, you're going to be tempted in every which way you can think of to cause you to not imitate God. You see it as another message or see it as just something that was good to know, but putting it into practice may be even more difficult, but that's where you lean and trust on the power of God to enable you to do this. Amen? Let us pray. Father God, we, Lord, thank you. Father God, I thank you. For Lord God, the reality of your word, Father God, is so rich, rich with the promises, Lord God, that you have given us and that we, Lord God, are a child of yours. I pray, Father God, that we may grab hold of that, that we may know what that means, and that we may be able to walk in the calling, Lord God, to imitate you, Lord. That we would not seek to imitate others, Lord, or to be like others, Father God, but that we may look to first walk as Jesus, to talk as Jesus, to have the mind of Jesus Christ. Father God, I pray that you will impress upon the hearts of those who are here the significance of doing this in their lives. We thank you for the power you give. We thank you for your grace and your mercy, Lord God, that you have shown us for when we are faithless or not faithful to you, Lord God, you are faithful to us. We thank you and we praise you. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.